it is that time. Yes, it is time for Shh, the mic's on. Yes, indeed, it is that time. Shh, the mic's on. I haven't done one of these in a long time. It's been too long since I've busted. It's been a couple of months since I busted out this podcast. And I'm very, very lucky to have uh, Brian Jennings with me. One of my, like, you know, and I say, and I, I hit you up, and I think it's awesome that you, because I'm like, I would love to get you on. And you were like, yeah, I would, you know, right away. I mean, it's because rarely do we get that. Usually it's like, well, okay, I can do it, but it'll be like Wednesday of next week. It's awesome that you're like, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Tell me a little bit about how do you, your background in radio, because we like to talk. That's what this podcast is about, is about radio and the broadcasting industry what tell me about your experience like like where did you start and in some of the places you've been well i'm like yourself i'm a, I'm a kansas boy um i actually grew up in in wichita and uh, got my first job in radio in the early 90s working for uh a uh an oldies station at the time it's now a sports talk but it's actually the oldest station in kansas kfh mm-hmm. and uh started there for about a year finished up high school then went to college at the University of Kansas and um, started doing some, you know, college radio. Came back to Wichita and uh, really kind of fell in love with with country radio mm-hmm. and uh, and worked there for a few years and then kind of had moved up. I, I spent some time in the Salina Manhattan market and then uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, Omaha, Cleveland, uh, back to Wichita, Tulsa. Um, primarily programming country music stations, but yeah, I mean, I, I got the bug and, and as, as Rick knows, you know, you fall in love with this and it's just, you <laughs> yeah. become an institutional man. It's like, it's all I can do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, do you remember the very first, I, cause I remember this with me and it's still, we're all wired a little differently. So maybe you do, maybe you don't, but do you remember the first time you opened a mic at like a, like a, like a legitimate pay job? Not, you know, nothing against college radio. I love, I did that too, but mm-hmm. I'm saying like your first, you know, paying gig that you were trying to make a living at the first time you went in that studio and opened the mic. Do you remember that? Oh, oh yeah, because you you almost think to yourself, they're paying me to do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, I was scared to death because I kept thinking because you know back then I was I was probably fifteen ish and it was a part time gig at a, a news talk station. But I, I kept thinking, God, what if I screw this? <laughs> <laughs> like, please just do, don't do anything stupid. <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, when you're starting out, you're convinced that, you know, everyone mm-hmm. is scrutinizing your every word. And then you then you get a little time under your belt and you're like, these people don't care what I'm saying. Exactly. And <laughs> that's so funny because you're right. Because when you're first starting out, you take it so seriously. You sit there, you think the world's going to come to a screeching halt if you do, you know, if you do something. Yeah, far, far too self-important of me to think that. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so funny. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Because, you know, it's it, and you do. Do you remember? Let me ask you. Did you, did you want to do this? Did you want to do this kind of thing when you were like, I did when I was like eight or nine years old. I would walk around with a tape recorder and I'd record myself Boom. imitating disc jockeys I'd heard. And I'd drive people insane and go, listen to this. I, you know, was it that yeah. early on for you? It was, man. I had I had a couple of uh, cassette recorders back in the 80s growing up. And, you know, and you're probably going to nod your head yes, because it's going to sound familiar to you. And you might have even had your own pretend radio station like <laughs> yeah. I did as a kid. And, yep. Uh, you know, it, it, everyone should have seen it coming, right? Oh, of course. I would do these goofy little bits that I thought was so funny when I was like nine or ten, where I would like do a like I'd, I'd act like I had Paul McCartney in the studio. You know, this is back in the, like the late seventies, early eighties, and I'd do something like you know, uh, so Paul McCartney, what do you think about blah blah blah? And then I'd play a clip of him singing and go, well, that's his answer. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah, just dumb stuff. Like, but I thought that was ingenious. Right? Was you know what? For a nine-year-old, that is ingenious because those <laughs> yeah. are the same kind of jokes professionals make today. <laughs> I never thought about it, but you kind of have a solid point. 
Let me ask you. You were nine years old. That's impressive. No, that's I, I would do that, and then I would do stuff like I would, you know, like like I would imitate the guys doing weather forecasts. It's crazy and as simple as that. But that's what I would. I would hear some guy. I would. Your I would, parents. Your parents must have seen this coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was well, and I drove people insane. I would always try to entertain, and I always try, you know. And sometimes that was funny. Sometimes it wasn't. So sometimes it was kind of you'd get that reaction of, okay, we get it. Shut up. <laughs> you know? just, well, we're used to that too. The entertainment business kind of draws people like us into it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. Now, you have your experience. I've done multiple formats, but I, I mean, I come, I come from a rock background more than any of them, but I've done them all. Right. Um, do you? No, I kind of feel like. The country format is more, I don't know how to put it, more real maybe, if that makes sense, more solid and down to earth maybe. I think it's accessibility, you know, because like whether you're talking about record label folks or you're talking about the artists. Artists, um, artists. So much of their success has been predicated upon the relationship they have with radio, with DJs, with program directors, and airplay. I mean, you Mm. know, if your song is on the radio, it's – traditionally such a huge part of the success of a country artist. So I think there's really been a, an acknowledgement about the importance of that relationship. And what it does, I think, is, is give a unique degree of access to the artist, which has mm-hmm. always been kind of fun. I agree 100%. And I say this, and I, nothing against my, you know, my rock. I mean, I've been around both sides of it, a lot of rock guys, a lot of country guys. And I love my rock, man. I love those guys. I mean, you know, those guys, I, I, I don't want to get into name dropping, but there's my share that I've met. But there are sure. some. There are oh, and some. I've seen, I've seen your photos. You've, got, you've, you've <laughs> met them all, man. Well, there are some that are, most, okay, let me rephrase. Most of them are super cool about meeting fans and signing stuff. Getting, but there are some that are kind of like, you know what? Don't want any part of that. I'm going to go do my show, and I'm out of here. By country, you see a lot more artists that say, I, I'm not leaving until I sign and get pictures with people. And some of that might be, you know, Southern hospitality, because as as you may or may not know, when someone in the South says, bless your heart, it's not they might be making you feel good, but yeah. there's... <laughs> <laughs> they get equally tired of those same things. I, I think there's a, I think there's a certain social nicety uh, to country to country music that probably even when the artists get sick of you, they still find a way to be nice. <laughs> it could be, you know, maybe, and or is it? Somebody once told me who somebody else in this industry, I can't think of who it was, right offhand. It was somebody in the program for a long time told me, and he, he said that he, how did he put it? He said a lot of it is because of the backgrounds, because a lot of these rock artists, they're so they come from backgrounds. It's not not that they were pampered. But they didn't really starve like a lot of these country guys and gals did, you know. Mm. I, I don't know. Yeah, and that that could that could very well be. Um, and I think I think there's a there's kind of a, a sense of of family about about country music because you've got people who are five years old and you've got people who are ninety years old, often listening to the same stations. Whereas as you and I know that rock and pop tends to be very demographically, you know, specific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that makes a ton of sense. It's it's just amazing to me when I see things like you know, and you hear stories, and you have to. I'm, I'm you've probably been around him. Garth Brooks is one of those guys. I always hear stories about mm-hmm. that he like here's a guy who sold what a billion records. I don't know whatever it is. He's like one of, one of the biggest stars on the planet, <laughs> and yet he takes the time. He will go out of his way to take the time and shake somebody's hand and say, "Hey, how are you?" And, you know, I am always more impressed by the artists who do things they don't have to do but choose to. That to me is a sign of real authenticity. You know, when they're, when they're at a point where they're like, hey, you know, they, they called me up out of nowhere to say thank you. They didn't need to do that. It wasn't something that they're going to gain something personally from it. It's just who they are. That's really impressive when they do that. Amen to that. Now, what would you say? Let's talk about the industry for a second as it is now compared to yeah. when you when you got in. 
What were some of the things? What's what do you? I mean, there's obviously been change, and it's going to evolve. That's any industry will. But what are some of the changes you would say are positive? And then what are some of them that you would look at and go, I don't know, I don't know about that. You know, I I think that obviously the the, con, the consolidation that occurred as a result of the Telecommunications Act of '96. It changed everything. Mm-hmm. You didn't just have companies that owned one or two uh, signals in the market. You now have them, you know, with six or seven and maybe a couple of HD2 side channels that don't even count against their, their number. Or you have a couple of very large corporations now that control so much of the music that they don't even allow their local programmers to make decisions mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's a homogenization, I think, that that radio suffers from. I would say that's one of the negative things. Mm-hmm. But on, on the opposite way, I would say that, um, you know, radio stations, specifically news talk as, as a perfect example, stations that really embrace localism realize that that is going to be the secret sauce mm-hmm. to survive. Because, as you know, everybody's got podcasts now and mm-hmm. Sirius XM and just a bunch of different ways to get their information and get their music and they don't necessarily have to go through radio. I think radio stations that really embrace localism are the ones that will survive another 20 years, another 30 years from now. Well, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'll tell you, it's, it's interesting because you know how this was when we were younger. I mean, I'm probably, I'm probably a little bit older than you. I mean, I'm in my 50s now, so I'm a little bit probably a little older than you are. May, I don't know. I, but regardless, we've both been around yeah, I'm a minute. In my 40s. Okay, so we, you, yeah. we both, you know, and doesn't it seem like, remember when we were starting out? My, I remember this when I was in my 20s, thinking, I just got to get to that top 10 market, top 15 market, got to get to Dallas, got to get to <laughs> Chicago. And now, you know, you look at the, but, but the world's changed a lot. This industry has changed so much. I don't think that's an issue as much anymore. I think now, because you're right, the tentacles reach from anywhere, you know? I mean, the best the best radio guys are the ones that are like you that are in a market by choice where it was like, you know what? I love Manhattan. I want to be here. I want to you know, I I really want to dig into to uh, the town. Mm -hmm. And I've watched you on social media and some of the things that you've done to incorporate that. But you're right, man. I mean, great radio is being done in all sizes of markets and the ones that really stick are the ones that go local and and really get into it and make that one-on-one connection with people that's one of the things that's going to make radio unique in the future if it's going to stick around and and still be relevant despite all these other mediums we have and you're seeing and and, and this is not a knock i mean i've you know i've worked in bigger markets i've worked in top 30 markets yeah. and i've worked and, and you see you're seeing now a lot of the major markets are losing a little bit of ground to um, just through the podcast to the uh, to all the other options that are out there, right? And the reason I, I think, think the bigger the market, the bigger the market, the harder it is mm-hmm. for them to be local because because that's just it. They're not, they don't have that local connection. They, I mean, there's yeah. there's it, there are some personalities obviously still out there that have you know Johnny Dare in Kansas City is a classic example. Ninety nine, The Rock might be a monster station, but he's a Kansas City guy and he has that connection. Yeah. But once but once you get into a situation where you're Bringing talent in that do not have that connection. If you're piping them in from wherever, it really suffers. And big markets really suffer is what I'm trying to say. Their numbers aren't – I mean, it just – you can see it. Am I right or wrong? Yeah, no, you are. I mean, you're you're nothing more than a translator or just another affiliate. You're, you're, You're the McDonald's down the road. It's like you can't get excited about a local restaurant if it's part of a larger chain. But if it's something unique and local, 
it, it takes on, you know, a, a greater affection with, with your clientele. Always. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I heard, and, and, I, and I, I hate to keep bringing his name up, but I remember when I was working in that market, I heard Dare, Johnny Dare do a great bet where he was talking about, and it was so simple. He was talking about going to a Royals game in the middle of the day, like after he got off one day, like got off work at like, I don't know, one o'clock in the afternoon and it was a day game. And he was talking about the, the just simply just driving up to Kauffman Stadium and the scene, everybody out hanging out having, and stopping over at Gates Barbecue on the way. And he's dropping all these local things. And you can just tell, you go, this guy breathes Kansas City. <laughs> you know, right. and those, and that's you know, yeah, and that's and 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 he's able to to talk about things that most people can relate to. Everybody knows Gates, everybody knows Royals, everybody knows you know the the you know the the, the drive into the stadium. Yeah, and, yeah, that, and that's and I think you're seeing that done now more and more on the level of radio, like medium and smaller markets, and unfortunately, yeah. than you are in bigger markets. And I think that's a problem well, I, for radio. I think a lot of the larger corporations that own a bunch of stations, their desire is to is to grab those big markets. Problem is when they grab those big markets, they squeeze all the localism out, out of it. You're more likely to find dynamic local radio in small to mid-sized uh, cities because – you have a little bit less of an impact mm-hmm. by some of those big corporations. I agree. I agree, and that's not to knock. I mean, I think it's too. I think you know. Do you think that'll ever change? You know, as long as as long as you have, I just don't know though. As far as in, in, in major markets, because if it doesn't, I think they're going to have trouble. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not one of those grumpy guys that's going. Well, they just won't survive. But I think it's going to be it's going to be challenging for them if they don't. No, I, I think you're right, and I do think that there are some companies out there. There's some really good companies out there that are very measured about, you know, it's not, you know, the kid with the most toys wins attitude. They, they, they want to do quality radio, and and you and I have even talked about this before. I remember one one day you and I were just kind of chit chatting together, mm-hmm. and kind of came up of, gosh, can you imagine if we had even a small yeah. budget? to market and promote our radio station, mm-hmm. we would kill in this market because nobody's spending money in promoting their yeah. product. Well, now you look at markets kind of like, you know, where you are, where you've got, you have a small budget, but at least it's something in the market. And in comparison to the other radio stations that don't have it, it gives you an enormous advantage. Absolutely. Do you think one of the big, and I just like throwing these questions out there. Do you think one of the biggest problems sure. we have as programmers and I, and I, and myself included, I mean, I, you know, I'm guilty of this. We, we tend to look at things. We we what's the word I'm looking for? We strategize based upon listening from the angle of a radio guy, and we don't realize it's like, look, you know, the, the average listener doesn't isn't concerned about the things that we are as much. You know what I mean? Yes, it's that bubble that no, we get I think, into. I think that's I think that's very true. Yeah, I, I think I think we kind of get into the weeds. I, heck, I even think with with so much more time now for radio station folks spending on social media. And, and, and that kind of stuff, it's taken us further away from really discovering, listening to the music, learning about the acts, getting, getting that information, and then being able to translate that over the air. I think at the end of the day, we have to remember that, you know, if you're a music station, for example, mm-hmm. knowing the music, knowing the artist, and, and translating that to the audience is a great way to build that local relationship with them. And as we take on a lot of this peripheral stuff that isn't about that, I think it gets some of the radio folks away from, you know, what 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 our passion is. Amen. And you know, how many times have you had this told to you? I remember this like and I don't it's not so much anymore, but I remember it used to be the old school mentality. Well, you can't like you, I don't care if you had a country station or rock station, can't play two female mm-hmm. artists back to back. No, you can't do that. There's like some kind of golden rule. Like, why not? We don't do that. We can't do that. And it's like, okay, you're overanalyzing this. If they're good songs, they're good songs. <laughs> what difference does I make? remember learning when we were editing logs, <clears throat> there was a there was a tempo like mm-hmm. number that you had to hit. And we would like, 
numerically designate songs according to tempo, and you had to have an average of of uh, the number seven every time that you were like massaging a log, and it's like, man, the audience does not think like that. They don't, and it's it's not. And I know, and and, and there are people that will argue with me on this, but I know the old the old brick wall thing. People always hear that from you know, well, you can't go from ACDC into you know um, a journey slow song, and it's like, well, you, you, if you've separated with some imaging, I think you can. No, no, that's like hitting a brick wall. It's like well, listeners don't think that way I, I, get- I think that's more of that radio self-importance that we were talking <laughs> yeah, about earlier <laughs> exactly i totally get it if you're talking in terms of like you know you don't want to play like three five minute slow songs but it's just, you know you put people to sleep but you can certainly intermix. I mean, you can certainly. I mean, yes, there's a brick wall, but you're putting some imaging in there. No, I, I, have never known a single listener ever. And all my, I've been doing this thirty some years. I've never had anybody. I've worked at rock stations, country, any, you know, whatever CHR stations. I've never had any listener, the biggest P one, come up to me and go, you know, I was really into what you were doing. The guys were doing the other. Then you played this slow song. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, they hear hit. If yeah. you're playing a hit, you're not gonna, you're, you're not, you're not gonna upset them. But I mean. They they don't hear that kind of stuff. I I totally agree with you. Do you find sometimes too? This is kind of like the, it's an art form when it comes to programming radio, especially commercial radio. It's an art form that I compare to stand up comedy in the sense that it, there's a lot of disrespect for it from people that believe because everybody thinks they can do it. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those everybody thinks they can program that station you're on better than you can. And I mean, because they think, well, if I play my top 15 favorite songs, everybody's going to love it. They just have no idea. And and, and, I, and I'm, that's not with a knock at all. I understand why they think that way. I get it. But there are, I mean, that's a lot of kickback we get that's negative as far as music goes. You know, let's face it, we're not going to make everybody happy. You can't. It's impossible. So you should. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're playing one of the major formats of music, it's what you do between the songs mm-hmm. that differentiates you between you and your competitor. I mean, you, you, we may all play the same 20 songs, you and, and the other competing stations in that same format, but it's, it's the relationship that the DJ has to the audience. It's what happens between those songs that really makes the station sticky. I agree. And I also, I love that. Makes it sticky. That's awesome. I love that. Um, it's also one of those things too, where sometimes you think, I often think this to myself, and that's just common sense programming, but I always think it's not about, I mean, people say, you know, how can you play, you know, I've had this and I'm sure you've had people ask you this, well, do you like, you don't really like everything. Like, well, no, I don't like everything that comes across, my, but that's not the issue. That's not the issue. I mean, I may not, I may think like, and I'm not, not to pick on any band. I don't care. I mean, I, I love Rush, but that, you know, people, how can you play Rush? Well, even if I hated them, they, if you go to their show and watch them sell out arenas, there's a reason we're yeah. playing them. You know? At the end of the day, and I think program directors make this mistake a lot, but at the end of the day, the audience isn't here for what you like. This is not your playlist that you're doing. You're putting, you're putting together music based on what is popular. If it, cease being, if it ceases being popular, we stop playing it. If it is popular, we play it. And what I personally think should not enter into it, what I think should enter into it as a program director or a music director is – I think this song has a, 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 either a unique message or a great hook or just just infectious melody or, or something like that, and then you, you take a risk on it. It doesn't mm-hmm. even have to yeah. be a song that you love, but it's got to be, do I know the audience well enough to know that they would want to hear this? And unfor- that's what we got to be thinking of all the time. And unfortunately, a, a lot of that's gone away, unfortunately, not, not by choice. It's just gone away, unfortunately. Right. Uh, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. Shotgun Jackson, who was a friend of mine in, in uh, when I worked in Kansas City, he would always yeah, he, I know Shotgun. Yeah, too. and he would always. This was way back when. This was like fifteen years ago. 20, he would say this. He would say, you know what? He say, man, brother. He would say, gone are the days when you just pull a record out, throw it on, and, and roll the dice. Because unfortunately, those days are gone. 
like, yeah, yeah, but I think those days were gone by the late 80s, yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of too bad, but I, I also, it, it, you know, one, one thing that's interesting, too, and I think you would agree with this, maybe not, I don't know, if you don't, that's fine, whatever, but I, I know when I started programming, because when I, when I got into the on-air side of this first. That's kind of where we all entered. And once I got into the programming mm-hmm. side, prior to get programming, prior to, to actually you know generating logs and getting into the meetings and the music meetings and all that, I was one of those guys that said the same. Why don't we do all this? This is what we should be doing. Blah, blah, blah. Because I didn't understand the intent and the purpose of what was going on. I just didn't get yeah. it. You know? And I think once you do, it, it really changes your perspective. Yeah, it does. I mean, the most important thing is that you don't get into the weeds on on what you want to hear mm. or what you think is right. If you really know your audience, even if, you know, I mean, like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like, politically, I'm very different than a news talk audience. But as an operations manager or program director, I knew what they wanted. My mm-hmm. job was to cater to what I think they want. Exactly. So you've got to divorce yourself from your own What's the word I'm looking for? You, well, your own, um, what's uh, your your biases? Your uh... yes, you got to divorce yourself from your own biases because at the end of the day, they're asking you to do a job to to reflect someone besides yourself. And boy, do I hear uh, program directors in all formats make that mistake a lot. Well, After yeah, a while they start programming for themselves, and and then and that's a huge mistake. And and we get, I've been accused. Well, I'm not I individually, but I've been I've worked in formats where we've been accused of uh, selling out. You're selling out. You're well. I mean, yeah, to a degree, we're selling out to what works. If I, I mean, everybody, yes. when you go to work at, at, you know, say you're working as at a, at a mechanic, as a mechanic at a shop. You, when somebody says they want their, you know, brakes fixed, you, you're, I mean, you're not selling out by saying, "Well, I'm going to fix them because that's what they want." Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't go to Firestone even if they are the experts because they're sellouts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you definitely can't think that way. I mean, no. that I, I think, I think there's some, I think there's some truth to that for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's just, and it's funny because it, I've seen people literally lose their jobs, not only as programmers as on-air talent. Over that very issue, I'm, you know, I've, I've known, I'm not going to mention names, but I have seen people who've literally, I'm playing this this hour, I don't care, because this is what really works. And, you know, you do that one too many times, especially nowadays where it's so, tra- everything's so transparent. Um, you're going to be out the back door. I mean, that's just how it is. There's a way to, yeah, there's a way to roll out your passion without, you know, <laughs> without creating enemies. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Where do you see this industry in? I don't know. I mean, do you do you think it's do you think we're evolving enough to keep up to be you know? Because I remember when I was again, I go back to the olden days when I first got in, and there were guys that sat around. They were probably my age back then. They're well, you know, with satellite radio coming on, that's it. We're all, we're all done in about ten years. That's it. It's all going to be gone. And you know, <laughs> oh yeah. And then when Sirius XM and all that kicked in, that was an, well, that's it. We're all done. We're all done. You know. And with the podcast now, I'm hearing that. I'm here. Well, you know, it's all going to be podcasting here in just a few years. I I don't know your thoughts on all that. In the 1960s, when they were doing hi-fi radio or the thought that FM is going to destroy AM or that XM is going to destroy FM, what we found is that not only is that not the case, the one thing that will destroy radio is large conglomerations that continue to consolidate and, and don't serve the public interest. I mean, these are, these are public airwaves. We're on TV and radio. They do not belong to companies. They do not belong to employees. They belong to the taxpayers. We have to remember that because that's our number one responsibility. And as these companies take on more and more, they can't possibly serve the local interest. I know recently, you know, it was in the news about 
um, a tornado that came through an area rural North Dakota. Well, they didn't have anybody there because they turn off the lights at 6 p.m. and go home. You're, you know, you can be held liable for not mm. getting out important vital information in your local community. So I think, I think at the end of the day, we have to remember, hey, these signals belong to the people. Well, and I also think, too, you know, I'm 100% with you on that. And I think, does, isn't it kind of mind-boggling to you, though, that you would think it's so obvious that, and, and again, I, this sounds like I hate to do I, I don't want to sound like, well, corporate America just sucks. But you, you look at, like, <laughs> you look at, like, what they're doing to radio. Don't they understand that it's like, because what they're doing is they're cookie-cutting a lot of the formats. And they're saying, okay, well, it's because, you know, this, this and this and this is what works everywhere else. Well, if you're doing the same yeah, thing, I, I, think, it's just... I think I think assembly line radio doesn't work because, like we were talking about, you have to develop those relationships. You have mm-hmm. to give people something local. I can't I can't tell people in Wilmington, Delaware, what's going on in Wichita, Kansas, because they don't care and it doesn't mm-hmm. apply to them. But there are products out there, like a car or a hamburger, that you don't mind being on an assembly line in in a big franchisee. That doesn't bother me if I get a Toyota Corolla and everybody mm-hmm. else has one. I don't care. I expect that kind of quality i'm looking for but with radio and tv you're definitely looking for something more yeah exactly and i think it's it's mind-boggling to me that they don't get the fact that it's like yes i get it this this particular track is you know it's 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 working everywhere and that's fine i understand all that but just because something i'm trying to think how to put this if you're not going to give me any local flavor then why i can i can get all of what you're giving me on my on my uh you know on my set or whatever i can pull up my phone and listen to it anytime i want yeah so even a number one hit isn't going to work in every market and vice versa there's going to be there's going to be times where you know like a red dirt country song yeah you know you want to you want to you want to play some jason boland on a station in stillwater oklahoma that makes sense it yeah. doesn't make sense in poughkeepsie but it might make sense there and it should be allowed to be experimented with you know and it's and that's another and i'm sure that you've run into this as a programmer even as an air talent at one point where you run into somebody's programming and they just they don't get okay it's like this is a great market you know manhattan's an awesome market when it comes to red mm-hmm. dirt red dirt country bands will come here and they'll come down to some of these Absolutely. bars in Aggieville, and they will sell the place out, and people will go Absolutely. crazy over them. And in how many, t- you know, in a situation, and they, and we do, we do some red, we mess around with some of that. So I mean, but I've been in situations where it's similar, where that kind of thing is going on in the market I'm in, and you go to the program and you say, "Can we do like, let's do an hour of red dirt?" Oh, nobody wants to. Yes, you don't get out. Trust me, this would be big if we would. Just, well, no, you can. Well, yeah, but you look at the chart. Don't look at the charts. Understand what's going on in your backyard. You know, because yeah. it's happening. I think I, the long the long answer to your question uh, coming coming to to a conclusion on this, I would I would say that if if radio does have a negative future, it's because of the way that companies have handled the product, mm-hmm. not because the technology is obsolete. I agree. I agree, hundred percent. And and to the guy, you know, and I and I used to get in one of the one of the main you know uh, mainstay like jabs that we get as programmers in this and we get it a lot and and, and i and i'm very understanding and very you know um, patient with it because i understand they're you know they're seeing it not from where we sit you know but it's the constant um the constant remark uh, something to the extent of well you play the same 300 songs you play the, and my response is always we probably do but you know what when you go to <laughs> when you go to wendy's you know what you want right you don't want to be surprised you're there because you know like the number three is what you want you know? yeah, people like the idea of variety, but at the end of the day, they like what they like. And every time we test the music, if these same songs keep coming back, guess what? That's my job. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you want to think on paper, glory, uh, if you want to glorify your perspective on, on paper, you want to say, you know, but, yeah, who, but why do we want to listen to this? But, but the but fact of the matter is it works. 
That's why they do. Yeah, that. and at the end of the day, there's a there's a there's a difference between perception and reality. Mm-hmm. Their perception may be you play all the same songs, but sometimes you can you can impact that perception. Let's say you know you you stage a song or you spike something in once every other hour that's sure. not necessarily part of the playlist. It will give them a different perspective of oh they do play. Sometimes people think they hear things they don't necessarily hear. Yeah, exactly. And well, and just like anything else, when you're you know it's when you how many times do you go to a restaurant and you eat a great great meal and you you probably don't remember that individual but the one time you eat something that isn't so good you'll never forget that i think that's what i think that's what a program director's job is if you do it right nobody should notice but boy if you mess it up who's in charge over there <laughs> exactly i you know what i appreciate you so much for taking this time with me it's awesome i love picking your brain oh man it just gives me an excuse to talk to you rick it's awesome yeah it's real quick like before we get going here name an artist and, and, and again i don't i'm not a big name dropper but it is kind of fun to do this name an artist that you've met that was actually really really cool and down to earth and you're like this guy, this guy or gal, whatever the case may be, is one of the nicest people I've ever run into. Well, you you brought up Garth Brooks, and that is a perfect example. Garth, uh, and, and I keep going back to country because I, mm-hmm. I spent so many years in that format. Um, Garth, Brad Paisley, Dirk Bentley, John Party is an example of a newer artist that if they meet you once, mm-hmm. they remember something about you and your name, and that is always so impressive. I think the most impressive people I've met are the ones that. Try to remember a specific incident so that the next time they see you, they can bring it up because they know yeah. that kind of connection yeah. gives you an affection for the artist. And it's very, very smart. I mean, if you're a marketing guy, that's as smart as it comes. I think Garth was a marketing degree. I think yeah. he has a marketing degree from Stillwater in Oklahoma State. And he gets that, man. If he meets you once, he remembers you. It's spooky for people yeah. who can do that. It is spooky. It, no, that's that's awesome, and I've heard that about him from everybody, everybody I've ever known that's been around him. But they all say that. I've, it's pretty impressive when you think about the amount of people that he runs into. And I've never heard one. I've never heard anybody say, "Well, he was kind of." You know, no, no. Everyone I know said this guy is really awesome. So that's cool. My grandfather was involved in politics back in Boston in the 1950s and 60s. Yeah. He was the head of like the firefighters union, and so. Back in the state house, long before he became a national figure, Jack Kennedy would spend time with my grandfather. But once he became a national figure, he didn't see him. Two, three years mm-hmm. went by. Jack had just been elected. It was like December of 1960. And my grandfather saw him coming out of, a, of an elevator. And from across the elevator with all a room full of, of reporters, Jack points at my grandfather and goes, Jim, how you doing? And he says, Hi, you, Mr. President. He goes, hey, you can call me that now. It was wow. just having wow. that kind of memory Whoa. to do something like that. <laughs> you, Those people can rule the world just because they're able to connect. And I think at the end of the day, that's kind of what you and I have been talking about yeah. the last half hour is you give people an opportunity to connect one-on-one. They remember you. They love you. They're affectionate yeah. for you. And that is something you can use in any industry. Sean Morgan from the band Seether. Came over to my house one night. This is a long time. It's probably 15 years ago. Yeah. After after he did a show at the uh, the Cotillion there in Wichita, and he came over and he's hanging out. I had a little back patio bar set up, and it's you know it's like two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. And he's like, you know, and in that that time he was you know he was drinking his share back then, and he's got this thick like you know South African accent going. He's like, well, I need a shot or something. I need a shot, you know. And I didn't. I said, I don't have. Wait, I said I've got some Tawaka in the refrigerator in the freezer. I'll get some of that. And he's like, what is that? He never heard of it. And I said, well, let me introduce you. And long story short, he hits it. He does a shot with me. And he sets it down, and, he, and he's like, and he walks over to me. He goes, Ray goes, I got to be honest he goes i like you i really like you a lot you know he's all leaning on me he goes but he goes i'm not going to lie about it he goes 
Um, he goes, good for a second, then it was rather unpleasant, you know, right? So, you know, long story short, about six months to a year later, I go down to Dallas. So he's playing at the Edge Fest, and I go backstage. I didn't even know he was there. And I walk back, in the, and he's back in the backstage area, and he sees me, and he goes, Eric, what you doing? And I said, hey, well, how you doing? And he goes, and he looks at me, he goes, we'll do a shot after you. And then he looks at me, he goes, but not that crap you gave me. <laughs> not the Tawaka. <laughs> yeah, that's what he told me. I couldn't believe he remembered yeah, you that. Guys, you, guys made a, you guys made a memory that, that he keeps with him and, and remembers. <laughs> yeah. And I, I bet because of that memory moment, yeah. you still have a special place in your heart for that guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question. We still stay in touch. But I, you know, I, that's uh, cool. I appreciate you, my friend. I really do. I, gotta, I don't mean to, I got to get here, though. I really got to get some stuff done. I got a ton of oh, no, man. Thank you again for the time. I appreciate it. I, I, I love being able to listen to the podcast and, and just thanks for including me, buddy. You just listened to Shh, the mic's on.